You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. What is it that we can do that would be of the greatest service to you today? So I've had lots of revelations that I never knew were even there. So I'm now like, okay, I've had all of these insights, but kind of what next? All of my friends always say to me, how comes you can roll around in shit and come out smelling of roses? And (laughs) that's been kind of like my life. I've lived a very nice life for the money I've earned, but I feel like all of the stuff I've experienced has not been with my money. So I'm kind of like now, what do I do? I'm kind of like, ah, I've got this information, but what do I do with it? And how do I move forwards? Because some of these energy blocks are so deep and rooted that it's like, what next? Mm. So there's a philosophy that I have around healing versus living. It's not versus per se, but say versus for the sake of understanding on the difference between the two. So all of us have a lot of life that we've lived. Like if you're 30 years old, you've lived 30 years of life. If you're 40 years old, you've lived 40 years of life. If you're 60 years old, you've lived 60 years of life. And if we were to diagnose each part and each section of that life, it will be a lot of stuff that will be hidden and subtle and unknown and known and so forth. And it almost is an addiction when we lean so much in the past and think that there is this also all of this in the past that must heal or must be unblocked or unclogged. And until that happens, we won't be able to move forward. Now, it makes sense from the point of view of just practicality of life, right? You go, oh, if I don't get rid of these past beliefs and past fears and past energies, how am I going to move forward? Makes practical sense. But what I found to be true more so for universe is while there is an acknowledgement and understanding of the past to understand yourself, that's pretty much where the buck stops. It doesn't have to heal. It doesn't have to be okay. It doesn't have to sit with you forever and ever and ever. Because any of the belief, it's almost that as much as there's a past belief, there's a new belief being formed as you acknowledge the past belief and as you create or operate from a new belief. It's the same Mm -hmm. for energy. While there may be past energy, there is new energy being created pretty much moment to moment. Right. So right now, as we sit and as we chat, what's happening while you may be recognizing, oh, I have all these past, you know, things is at the same point of time, as you acknowledge and keep acknowledging it, you are reinforcing the past energy. You're actually not creating new energy. The reason why we want to understand where we're coming from is so we can observe our behavior and observe our energy when it leans into the past. The past has no control in your present or in your future. It only has control if you give it control. So if you give your past energy control, if you give a blockage control, if you give a belief control, it's got control. Otherwise, you can shift 
shifted like this, right? Then the reprogramming of irrespective of how big the belief is, is anywhere between 30 to 300 days. Now it depends. Sometimes it needs a little bit extra effort. Let's say a case of abuse may be so hard for you to let go and suspend. And that's why I'm kind of giving a very long range of it is because it may be that it sits with you for a very long time and that's okay. If that is, you're still not necessarily leaning back into it because if you do, all that is happening is you're reinforcing that energy. You're not actually creating new energy. You're sitting back into the old energy. This is exactly why therapy doesn't actually work, right? If you don't use a coaching model in therapy, usually therapy is going to fail on itself because therapy is all about going into the past and finding out what's up and keep talking about it. There's a friend of mine, I was talking to her and she was like, I've been in therapy for 12 years, traditional therapy, not the new therapy that's now talked about, which actually includes coaching models in it. She's like, I was in therapy for 12 years or 15 years, some crazy amount of time. And she was like, and all I was, was reliving my past in that therapy sessions day after day, every single day. And this was a highly qualified therapist. And the day I moved to coaching, I shifted in two years from that 12 years of programming. I was able to deprogram everything and move into a life that had nothing to do with my past, no beliefs or fears or challenges of my past. And now 12 years versus two years is a significant difference. And two years is still a long time if you really think about it, but think about how much time was wasted because we pondered on the past. So past energies, yes, are going to be there and they're going to be in your beingness. There is no way to completely rid anything. Like it's not because it's a part of you. You may hate it, love it, doesn't matter. It is a part of you, which is why it's better to just simply love it, right? Because it's going to not go away. Like even if you think there's no model that says, oh, you will never have this memory again. There's no model for that. You can reprogram it. You can suppress it. You can give love to it and just be accepting of it. But that's all you can do. You cannot change the past, right? So there is no reason to keep pondering on it. So discovery is done not for the purposes of saying, oh, that's why it's not working or that's why I'm not getting out of it. That's not the point of discovery. The point of discovery is to go, oh, that's why I need to use these strategies to create my new set of beliefs, my new energy, right? So for example, if there was a story around money, let's say, let's say shame around money, like you mentioned, if there was shame around money because of an instance that happened, we don't even need to know the instance for the sake of this conversation. You said that was an instance, it created shame around money, right? You say, okay, so I have shame around money. How do I deprogram, love, or recreate a new memory or a new beingness of me where I don't have shame around money, right? Now you can use many models for us. There's hypnotherapy models that can be used. There could be models around just reprogramming and just going every time you feel shame, you say, I love and accept myself for whatever may have happened in the past. And I'm moving forward with the new version that I'm creating that absolutely loves money, right? Mm -hmm. Loves and accepts money without any shame, right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe in the future, you take even out the word shame from it because you want to completely deprogram that word association with money, right? So what you are looking for, and like I said, there could be many practices that you could do for it, right? So a simple hypnotic model or hypnotherapy model that you could use is get yourself into a really deep, relaxed state. Yeah. So I already did hypnotherapy. I did hypnobirthing Perfect. kind of stuff. So yeah, I teach Perfect. it. Perfect. So use the same model, go deep state, count down, mm -hmm. 
get into a deep calm state, look at the event that has happened in the past where you may be experiencing shame and make it softer, make it lighter, make it stupider, make it irrelevant, and then create a new reality where you do not have association of shame, not at the same event, not with the same person, but an event that might be that where you felt money was totally deserving of you or you deserve the money that you received, even if you received it in context of either a service that you provided or just for who you are as a person, because there is no shame associated in receiving money in principle and overall. There is association of shame because of a reality and the meaning we made out of the reality. Now, I know the backstory of why you feel shame, which to be very honest to me is not even shameful. That's for you is the story that you've told is like, that's kind of like shame association to it. To me, it's what children do. Like it's as a child, I've done things that I can frame as that was my understanding of the world at the time. And that's what I did. Will I do it again? Probably not. But at the same point, that was the, I love that person that was able to take that courageous step because it was courageous what you did. So you can look at it as shame or you can look at it as courage, right? You could choose the same event and look at it in a completely different order. You can take it as uh, revenge is probably a really harsh word for it, but you could take it as a situation's response of what you could do. So it's a lot of signs of good things in that act as well, even if right now your current association suggests the same. And is it right or wrong is always debate because it's world, you know, what's right, what's wrong. We can all, we always operate in gray. So any event can most likely be turned as a plus or a minus, as a positive or a negative, as a good thing or a bad thing. So why not find the association that may be a new association to a different thing to replace this event and dilute the idea of what you have or take the same event and replace it with a different word. Like I was saying, the act that you are shameful of, to me, from an outside perspective, was an act of courage too. So what if it was an act of courage, not an act of shame? What if it was something that was something that best a kid could do at the time, right? Because you were a child, right? And you were not mature adult like you are. There is no reason for you to wonder. Or it's like, you know, I know you have a beautiful daughter, Sydney. Let's say she does something like that tomorrow. Let's say hypothetically assume that, right? And Mm -hmm. if she does that and she comes to you and tells you that, would you say that's shameful of you, Sydney? How dare you do that? Or you would be more present to that and say, oh, that happened. And that's okay if that happened. Let's find a resolve to it, right? You may not positively affirm it, but you're not going to say it's a shameful act either. No. Right? And that was one thing that got me out of the sheer dread, actually, was I put myself into her shoes because she was only a a year or two younger than what the incident was. So I was like, well, yes, I can rationalize that. But I didn't realize that that was the energy that I was holding around that. Mm. So, you know, I'm very good, I believe, at like, so I've never, I've tried therapy a couple of times and I realized it wasn't for me because I can openly talk about everything that happens and, and feel okay about it because it's not, I'm not in any threat now and it happens and you can't change the past. So I kind of look at things like that. And I also look at things if, you know, in every situation, there's always a gift and opportunity. So, you know, that will play out. So I strongly believe I didn't hold any energy to any of that. So kind of going back to it, I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, 
So actually, like when you're saying courage, it was almost for me like I was standing up for myself. Yeah. It's an in act the of only way, yeah, yeah. In the only way I knew how at that age. Yeah. So so my invitation here is you are already seeing it in a very different light. And because you're already somebody who was aware of hypnotherapy, you could totally use that model to, to kind of uh, diminish the image of shame and encourage the image of courage. And that is a matter of seven to 15 days that you would have completely reprogrammed that event. That's a great start and you have the tool to do it faster than most people. So that's awesome. But even if you didn't have the tool of hypnotherapy, all you're doing is reframing the event, right? And if you reframe and reframe frame and reframe, what's happening is if we were to extend the timeline of life, if the past has created a story over like 10, 20, 30 years of your life, what you can do is you can start creating a new story around it and it will get programmed in probably 100th the time. If you repeat that story to yourself, even if you didn't know any model that was as impressive as hypnotherapy. So you could reprogram fairly quickly because a new habit is a function of yes, small actions or new behavior is a function of small actions, but it is very rapid when you have a strong desire to reprogram it. Right? So it happens almost immediately. It's very, very quick because the desire or the intent to get the outcome is fairly high. So what you want to do, and I'm talking to any listener at this point who does not have awareness towards hypnotherapy, is to take this approach, is to simply take whatever that might be that has been the story of the past and start telling yourself a different story of the same event and start to reprogram that event already. And as you reprogram that event already, in a matter of 7 to 15 days, you will see there will be a small or a significant shift in your behavior around that particular context. In this context, we're talking about money, but that could be changed about anything, really. What you're doing is if you can deprogram, that's a model of hypnotherapy, great. If you can deprogram, you can simply reprogram. And that's an act of your mind and reframing of the event and approaching the event differently or whenever the event comes up differently. Now, once that happens, the next step is to find the habits that is going to reinforce every act that has happened until then, right? Mm -hmm. So, or reinforce the new behavior more and more so. So in your scenario, Tori, what that may look like is that now instead of approaching money as something that is shameful or money itself being shameful, you should be fine after that. And that kind of event happens, you instead of going, oh shit, do I deserve this? Or feel a little bit of a, a random energy around it, you lean into really opening your heart and receiving it. And how do we do that? You close your eyes, you calm yourself down, listen to some really uplifting music, not like popping music, more meditative music, and then go to your heart center and open your heart center. And as you open your heart center, you see the heart expanding, expanding into first your body, then expanding into the things around you, then the city around you and as further as the world around you and then leaning into gratitude for everything that is around you, leaning into gratitude for the money and abundance that you receive day after day, every single day. So what's happening with that is your energy is shifting around money because your heart center is what spiritually is considered the center of kind of your body in a way. I mean, it's a little bit lower than the heart is where the chi center is or key center is. So it's around the same area and because it's the center of your body, your service center in a way, which is your heart, your energy shifts a lot more than what you can intellectually shift because energetically you're shifting. Now, it's a little bit of a metaphysical approach. It's a little bit more spiritual in nature. So not everybody is accepting of it, but if you could try it, you will see that the energy, I know you are totally open to it, Tori, but it would help expand our energy a lot more and it will shift our soul to say, 
lot more. And because of that, your intellectual capacity or your intellectual change also accelerates. What's happening for you right now, Tori? Tell me. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you said that because when you said that, my chest was just tightening up and tightening up. And I and I have this quite a lot. It's almost whenever I'm talking about something emotion or real or where I've got to get go a little bit deeper, my chest just restricts. And it's almost like there's a part of me that has a lot of these blocks that just resist these things. It's like I always self-sabotage or, you know, I never stay consistent. I never have discipline. It's because I get so far and then all of a sudden this goes and then something stops. So, yeah, I normally feel it in, in mm. my chest and it's it's just, and I, and I don't know if that is a deeper feeling of not believing in myself or not feeling like I'm enough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's always this thing that just goes, whoa, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you do this? So my invitation would be to not try to find meaning in it. And the reason mm-hmm. is this. The beauty about the abundance of education around personal growth and psychology is that we understand a lot of things. The problem with it is we make meaning of things that have no meaning whatsoever, right? Sometimes your heart's not opening because you've never opened it before. Mm-hmm. Your heart's constrained because last time you tried to open it, something happened. And you don't need to find what stopped it. You just need to keep practicing the act of opening it up. And if it constrains, just give it more energy, give it more love and see if it opens, right? Because eventually it does want to open. There are known and unknown reasons, discoverable and undiscoverable reasons for you to not experience what you want to experience or what you know you're capable of experiencing. And sometimes, you know, there was a there's a friend of mine I was talking to just the other day. And he was telling me about the study. He said, you know how you go to doctor's office, the first thing, first among the first few things is they will take your blood pressure, right? And as they take your blood pressure, if it's high, they would go, you know, and it's high consistently, they go, oh, it's high consistently. You got to take some medication to bring it down. So he was saying there was a study that's, and I, I'm, I've i not verified the study. So the medical people on the on the podcast, don't judge me for it. This is just to represent what I'm really trying to explain. What this person said is that there are certain people that were given medication to lower their blood pressure and their blood pressure came to normal and then they died because what was happening was the blood pressure was high because for known and unknown reasons, it was doing something for the body because of which it was high. It wasn't high because it was a disruption to the system. It was high because it was supporting the system in unknown ways or undiscoverable ways. But because we take every idea in isolation, like, you know, when we go, oh, you know why you might be feeling because you don't feel good enough. It's an isolated idea. There might be a reason why you don't feel good enough that is actually supporting something that is much greater than what you, and something that you desire a lot more. So that's okay if that's happening. You don't have to justify everything. You don't have to understand everything, at least for now, because most of the things in the universe, including our bodies, including whatever capitalization of science we have, we actually don't understand. We think we understand, but we actually don't understand. I've been doing more and more research on the medical stuff, right? And it just happens to be, I have a lot of friends around it. And I like to do research on areas I don't know enough about. And the other day I was like, okay, so how does a blood test take? And at least in America and the US, right? And they would go, well, the blood test is taken for the blood that's flowing in the moment in your body. Which means if you did something that elevated certain levels in the past seven days of your thing, that's what your blood test report would give you. But that's not 
what you want in a blood test report. What you want in a blood test report is an average of 12 months or six months, right? So an isolated case and medical community, surprisingly, don't consider that as a big thing. To me, I was like, well, but then you're just basing it off of what I did in the last seven days. Let's say a party did out and I took my blood. It would give elevated levels of a lot of things that are actually not elevated. I don't want to be on medication on that stuff, right? And I'm not beating down on the medical community. That's not my intent. That's just an area of study I'm looking at right now. And I'm going, wow, shouldn't we be taking averages? Shouldn't we be going, let's look at six-month average or 12-month average to actually find what's up with the person instead of just giving a pill straight off the bat based on seven-day data or not even seven actually that moment's data, which could mean anything and could come from anything. And it's not a holistic approach. And same as for sciences. Any science is the current understanding of the world, right? We, we believe something until proven otherwise. We don't doubt it until proven otherwise, right? Big Bang Theory, the theory that we have right now of how the universe was created is a theory. It's a theory that is created by it's not even very old theory. I think it's like 30-year-old theory. And we take it as default right now. That's how universe was created, right? But that's the big bang theory. It might be disproven in 30 years from now, and then our understanding of the universe will change suddenly in a matter of seconds. So what I'm really trying to share here with the expansion of looking at practical things outside in the world is that everything that we think we make understand completely with the absolute certainty is actually not certain. The reason we talk in certainties is because that's what our underlying emotions always are. We always want certainty as human beings and we always want power as human beings. And we do different things to get certainty and power in our life. And if you're aware of that, we go, oh, that's my chase here. I'm trying to be certain, right? So I'm trying to go, what's the label I can put on this so I can make sense of this, right? But that may not be the truth of what actually is happening. And they may not fully explain the ecosystem that is your life, which is a very big ecosystem to understand, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm typically an overthinker anyway. So I will overthink a lot of things. And I think the more you dive into this, you know, self-growth, personal growth, you listen to so many different things. And, and it's almost like, oh, I've got the answer and I've got the answer and I've got this and I've got this. And it's like, whoa, 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 I have all of this knowledge now. But what do I do? How do I put it into practical? And, and where are the hours in the day to you know, sit there and meditate and do this and do that. So it's kind of, yeah, I, I hear you, but it's at the same time, you you are looking for that certainty, aren't you? You're looking for something to ground. Yeah. And it's, so where do you start with grounding us from all this noise? So the way to start is to look for the most affirmative action that you can take or the most desirable outcome that you have, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say, let's hypothetically assume your most desirable outcome is I receive more money. Let's say that's the most desirable outcome that you would like to have right now, right? If that's the most desirable outcome, don't worry about where your challenges come from. Take action towards or affirmative action towards creating more money, right? And say that, I may have a thousand beliefs that may be creating the belief of I don't deserve money, right? And that's probably how your beliefs are set up, right? All our beliefs are not the belief that's the big. There's a domino effect. There are a thousand sub small beliefs that you can't even identify and a thousand events that have created that belief. And now you see this one big pillar and you think I'm going to knock this pillar with one event of hypnotherapy session. 
And it can happen, sure. At the same point in time, there are still a thousand pillars like these, right? So good luck with that. That's going to take a really long time. That's why people get addicted to personal growth. That's why people get addicted to transformation work. That's why people get addicted to psychedelics is because they think, oh, one more domino, one more pillar, just one more, right? But there are a thousand of them. You're not going to be able to knock each one out. What you can do is you can say, okay, This is my most desirable result. I see the pillar are related to this. The one big thing that I can feel like, okay, there's this. I'll try to knock this one out. But mostly what I'm trying to do is to create a new reality almost immediately, right? So this pillar doesn't even matter, even if it stays there. It's like, you know, when the biggest success that I've had in, especially when it comes to presentations and presence on events and seminars and everything, is I've learned to live with my anxiety right before it. Is anxiety gone? No. Do I feel anxious one day before and the hour before? Yes. What I have learned is that that's just there. It's not going to go away and it doesn't need to. What needs to happen is my ability to not give into it. My ability to say, oh, you're here. Hi, you're here again. Thank you for being here. And I got to do this thing. So I'm going to work more on confidence, right? I'm going to work on the thing that I desire more, which is to be present with my person, to be present to every single person that is on the call or every person that is in the room. I'm going to work on being present to what's actually happening energetically because that's what I can do, right? But that pillar of anxiety, is it there? Yeah. The fear of not being accepted, is it there? Yeah. I don't have to knock that pillar down. I don't have to say you cannot be here because if you're not here, I'm not going to be able to perform. That's just not true. That pillar can be there. That challenge can be there. And I can still outperform myself every single time. Right. And so can you. Right. Do I feel and this is also one thing that I I feel people feel that there is a point in their life that they will feel like they have enough money. There's never that case. The more money you have, actually, more fearful you get about money. You just learn how to not give into that fear. Because think about it like this. I have more money than I. I mean, you know, my backstory. 14 years ago, I was living in like with my parents, like not in a like totally like poor, broke, completely had no money whatsoever. Right. No savings, nothing, no future, really, from that point of view. Right. Today, I have all of that and more, a lot more than what I could have ever imagined. Don't you think I would be fearful of going back to that reality, especially I have two kids now, like really young ones? Of course, of course, I feel the fear. Of course, I go, fuck, what if everything goes away? What if this was just, you know, my luck that happened? And so I got successful and now it's going to go away, right? It's totally possible. It's not weird to have that. And that is what happens with anybody that is successful. Their risk is bigger. My risk is bigger, right? Because my risk is, I am a lot more public facing thing. My projects take a lot more expense, right? I put an event that's hundreds of thousands of dollars before somebody has bought the event, right? But somebody has bought the ticket. It's not like I'm like, oh, I've sold out the event and then I'm putting the event. I'm saying, I'm going to put the event and now I'm going to sell the event. Right. So there's risk every single day, risk of losing it all every single day. So my risk is greater. But and so my fears are greater of saying I could lose this all like it could someday not make any sense. Maybe this is all made up. I just got lucky. Right. But at the same point in time, I can say that's okay. I am fearful of it. And yes, there's scary stuff. And then I can work more on creating greater value for society. And that's just an easier lean in because that's my desire. Right. I just go, hey, I'm just going to create more value for society. And if it does become a shit show, it becomes a shit show. What am I going to do? Right. I can't really know the future, but I can create my reality in the moment. Right. So in this moment, do I show up for this podcast in the greatest possible way and serve my ass off and make sure that you get greatest outcomes? So hopefully the people who listen to this call get the greatest outcome. I can do that. 
despite my fears, despite my anxiety, despite my concern. And if I can do that, well, in this moment, I won. And then we'll talk about tomorrow, tomorrow right? That's the only thing we can do. Yeah. And I, I've started to look at my identity and how I identify myself as well to see if I can shift it that way. And every time that voice comes up into my head or that kind of, yeah, that hesitation, I've actually named that person now. I think that really helps. Beautiful. So yeah, so like I had a massive problem with um, or a limiting belief around my education because it was so poor and I was dyslexic. And then last year, someone offered me 10% of the business for my intellectual property, which I thought I told you, <laughs> which was genius. I was like, oh my goodness. And then I've just signed a contract with a school to go and teach the head teachers. So <laughs> when I was sending out the quote for that, this voice was coming up in my head going, how can I teach school teachers when my grades were so bad? And then, so I named her Betty. So I'm just mm-hmm. like, Betty, not today. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's beautiful. And there is a book that I recently read. It's been around for a while, I think, or at least the system's been around for a while. But there's a book called No Bad Parts. It's a book by a therapist who actually uses some coaching tools. And he talks a little bit super extreme because he works with bipolars and identities and so on and so forth. I'm not talking about using the tools, but the cool part about it is kind of like what you just said. We all have multiple identities in our beingness because we've showed up differently in different circumstances in front of different people. Those are our identities. We're just not completely delusional about them. But if you really observe ourselves, you're like, oh, I showed up with very much confidence in front of this person and not enough confidence in front of this person. That's your two identities in a way, right? Because let's say somebody's more successful than you, you show up differently. Somebody as successful or your peer, you show up differently, right? So it's suddenly you're like, wow, I am two people, but I can integrate these two people. I can know these are the two personalities and can choose between these personalities. The more you're aware of it, like you said, a Betty who shows up and I can talk to Betty and I can say, hey, talk Betty, you know what? Great. Thank you for showing up. And you're not really invited to the party. So you can take a backseat here, but sure, take a backseat. Right. So it's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that you do. And I think we can all lean into the confident self. We can always lean into that personality and really take that identity for the moment that we need to deliver or show up or do something or be something so we can fully be present to that. So that's I think that all of us have that and we have the capability of leaning into that personality as well. So obviously you know me quite well now. There's a lot of limiting beliefs. There's a lot of a lot of hangups that have happened. There's a lot of like stuff, and it's good to bring these things up to ex- to understand certain relationships, to accept them, to move forwards, but not to wear them as a badge of honor. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a little bit. I've kind of accepted. Ah, oh, that's phenomenal. I've accepted like you know shame with money, and I've almost kind of told some other people about it with a badge of honor type thing but Mm -hmm. that from what I'm hearing is just reconfirming that belief so instead of so whatever comes up in terms of money family relationships just accept it and then really concentrate on creating that new story that new identity and keep bringing that back into yourself through hypnotherapy through questions or affirmations or reframing all of that kind of stuff and then once I'm understanding that I'm kind of thinking that is my key to consistency and discipline because once I'm consistent with that one thing and not scared of it anymore because I know where it comes from then I can start to see those shifts and that's what 
builds up my progression with that, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and the reframing can happen in the moment. Like it's so fast. The thing, the point to get to, and I think that's what the what the biggest point to get to is the decision of saying I'm about to reframe and I'm going to reframe this. Right. The moment you make that decision, the actual act of reframing is a matter of days, sometimes a matter of hours, not even a matter of days, because the decisions when made, you almost it's like, you know, when you decide I'm going to make a particular thing for a meal and then you just go get it, you just go get it. That's exactly how reframing works. The challenge is most of us don't decide. There was a point and I've shared the story on stage and you've heard the story before. There was a point in my life where I truly believe, because every test would tell me this, is that I'm an introvert. Like I'm an introvert. I don't like people. I shy away from people or whatever. Like, you know, whatever the story of introverts is. And there was a moment where while analyzing the list of friends and people that I was meeting, I recognized that I am an introvert only with certain type of people, not even type, certain people. And those people, if I eliminate, I don't act like an introvert. And I realized that most introverts are the same. They're not introverted with people they love, respect, want to have a conversation with. They're introverted in a large setting where they feel like the person that they want to talk to doesn't want to talk to them. But that's a setting in our mind. That's a frame in our mind. It's not true, actually, as our identity. What is true for identity is that we would do anything we desire. That's really the truth of any identity is introvert, extrovert, ambivert, whatever word. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is do you have desire for X? If you have desire for X, you will find a way to do it. Right? If you desire to talk to somebody, you will talk to that person. You may find a location where only two of you are there. You'll try to create circumstances where only two of you are there. That simply means that you like energetic exchange that is more powerful because two people or three people talking is more powerful than 10 people talking on top of each other. That's all there is. It's not, it doesn't make you an introvert, extrovert, and doesn't definitely put you in a box of saying you will not operate well in a particular circumstance. And that simple understanding, and that's why you understand the past, simply got me to say, I'm not an introvert. I'm not an extrovert either. I am just me, mm. right? And because I'm just me, now I can set the rules. I can define and decide who I am and when I am what, right? I can choose to be present to a big party. And you've seen me in a big party. I'm there for hours. I'm talking to every person that I possibly can. And then there's a point where I go, all right, I'm done. And then I leave the party. There's nothing that says, are you were, were you an extrovert? Because if I was that extrovert label, I would never leave the party. Or are you an introvert? Because then I would leave the party in five minutes. I am neither. I am me. And you can't box me. And that's true. And that's a big categorization people put between themselves, right? Introvert, extrovert. And they define their lives based on that. They wear it like a badge. Fuck the badge, all right? Because it's not true. There's no absolute. There's an understanding you can develop using these labels and these technologies. But ultimately, you are you. And it's so unique. It's unfair to put you under a label. And I think that's really what everybody needs to kind of hear. Like, Tori is Tori. Ajit's Ajit. There's no way Ajit can put a label on Tori or Tori can put a label on Ajit. What we can do is we can collaborate. We can go, okay, let me help Tori understand Tori and Tori helps Ajit understand. And Ajit, so we can go, oh, that's what I really am, right? And it's not a box, it's not a label, it's not a thing, it's this thing. And, and do you know what? You've you've said one thing there that's opened up so much for me, and it's that word box. Because I was gonna say to you, you know, like you only know what you know. So I didn't know last month that I had this energy around money. I didn't know I had all these things that we've discovered in Accelerate. So if I just think about the box that I've put myself in, then I can see the limitations around that. And then I can reframe that, right? Mm. That's what I was thinking about. I was like, well, if this has come up, what more can there be? 
But if I just think about my past story and, and the box I put myself in, even just last year, I can then start reframing that and changing that identity. And oh, I love that. Yeah. There is nothing that I can't achieve, is there? Yeah. Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> Till the time you desire it. Till the time you desire it. And that's also something that you must understand. Not all of us desire the same things. We think we do desire the same things because it looks great on somebody else, but we don't. Not everybody desires to wear a hat. It looks great on me. doesn't mean it'll look great on everybody else, right? But that's just what we need to be conscious and aware of. Is like, okay, what do I actually desire? Not because I'm seeing everybody have it, but because I desire it. Till the time it's congruent to your desire, you could create it fairly easily. The only thing you have to suspend is the expectation of time. Because some things, we don't know how long it'll need to be created, actually. Because a lot of things need to come together for it to actually be present in a physical reality. It's always available in the spirit reality, but to create it in physical reality, it takes the time it needs to take. So you just kind of have a time expectation to it, but creation expectation you can totally have and you totally can have it all. So what are some of the key takeaways? What are something that you feel you will be able to take into action that should be able to change your reality further? Oh, I mean, the biggest thing is just clarifying what to do with discoveries because I love discoveries. I love kind of learning new things. I'm always I'm always open to that. And I always believe that, you know, there's always something more to learn. But with all this learning, you have this information and you're like, what do you do with it? So the biggest thing my takeaway would be to like not own that and not wear it as a label and to reframe it in that different way. So that's like huge. And then also what you've just said about that whole box thing. And it also jumps to mind how other people have put me in a box and then I've owned what box they've put me in. So leaving here, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to think, what is the box that other people have put me in? And what can I let go of that now and reframe? Because you're absolutely right. You know, I'm not expecting a miracle overnight, but I have to identify the box that other people have put me in um, to be able to kind of shift some of this stuff forward as well. So those two things are, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, Tori. Well, it was fantastic talking to you, like always. Thank you so much for your time and I'll see you soon. 